Jesus. Amen and amen. Whew. Okay, maybe we just keep doing that until I go sit back down. So if you're an elementary age kiddo, follow the other tiny people out that door to your class. If you're a middle-aged school person, uh, you can also go out that way and hang a right and find, find your people, and they will be there. Goodness. Everybody okay? Yeah? See the, the healthy, healthier here? If you have a cough or a fever, please go home. Really, just kidding. We love you, but don't be here. No. Um, that's not, I'm just joking. Sort of. So, my name is Brandon Scott. I'm a pastor here at The Vine, and we're going to be going into 1 Peter chapter 5 today. We're going to start the last chapter of our study of 1 Peter. Going through books of the Bible like we do is challenging because you cannot evade the things that are in there. And so whatever that book is talking about, that's what we talk about. And so it's also incredibly rewarding because you get to understand the fullness of these letters that were written. In this case, is the letter that Peter wrote to the churches. And, you know, it was a real, Peter was a real guy who witnessed a real Lord do real things, really died, really rose from the dead, really ascended into heaven. Peter was a real person who wrote to real people in a real place in a real time. They were really suffering. They really bled and died. And so this book, even though it's very, very old, it is living and active because it is the Word of God. And so it's incredibly rewarding when we study it. And I, like we do as we come to the, the last chapter of any book we study, it's I miss it. I'm a, I love this book, and I've loved our study through it. So we've been in this theme of suffering, which really paints or goes through this whole book of 1 Peter. And in the midst of that suffering, though, Peter's going to give instructions, real practical instructions, about what he thinks the church is supposed to be doing. And so that's what we're going to do as we jump into chapter 5 here. Before we do that, let's, let's pray. And ask the Lord to help us. So Lord, I thank you that we can sing, that you give us voices that can sing your praises. That we will sing of our redemption. That our hope is in you and you alone. That it is not in our ability or our righteousness, but our righteousness comes from Christ alone. We thank you for that. We thank you for the word that you've given us. That it is indeed living and active, that Cuts us to the very quick, Lord Jesus, that, that discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We cannot hide from you as we study the word. It, it, it bears our soul open and teaches us and transforms us. So as you are sitting there right now, I want you to, to pray for someone near you. Someone in front or behind or someone you don't know. And, and I want you to just pray that the Lord would teach them exactly what he wants them to learn today. That they would be encouraged or challenged, or both. Just pray that they would receive what the Lord is teaching them through the Word today. And I want you to pray for yourself. Ask that the Lord would help you understand. Lord, we come before you. Lord, with humble hearts, Lord, we come. And we say that to this man you will look, he was humble and contrite and who trembles at your word. And so we come to you this morning, humble and contrite. We want to tremble before the mighty word of God. 
Help us to understand. Help us to listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 5. We'll be in the first five verses. And he says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when he says to the elders, what he means is the, not just the old people, right? He's not just meaning old people, but it also means older people. But he means those who have been charged with, with, with the spiritual well-being of the church. And he says to the elders among you, and it's this idea that these elders were not only there, but they, were in, they dwelt among the people. They weren't high and, 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 and pushed away, but they dwelt among the people. And then he says, I appeal as a fellow elder. So the word for appeal really means, some of your versions may say exhort, which is kind of an old word, but it means it's a very strong appeal. So Peter, as an apostle, could just say, I command you in the Lord to do this. But he doesn't say that. He says, I appeal to you. And it's this idea of the word is connected to the word paraclete, which is the, uh, a name for the Holy Spirit as our helper. And it's this, this idea of coming alongside someone, right? Not, not to comfort. Comfort looks, looks backwards and, and, and deals with where we are now. But this, an exhortation is someone coming alongside someone saying, here we are now. Here's reality. I want to look forward to where we're going. And so Peter is coming alongside these elders, and he's saying, I exhort you or appeal to you as a fellow elder. He does it in three, in three ways. First is a fellow elder, which is remarkable because Peter, he is also an apostle. But he comes to them first and says, listen, I'm, I'm a fellow elder with you. I, I, I shepherd the church of God, and I come to you not high and lifted up, not with apostolic authority. I come to you as a fellow elder, and I appeal to you on that behalf. I'm with you in this. And there's this parity of relationship that Peter is appealing to. So first, as a fellow elder. Second, as a witness of Christ's suffering. So Peter not only saw Jesus suffer and die, but he has also shared in those sufferings and would himself die for his faith in Christ. So he first appeals as a fellow elder. Second, as a witness of Christ's suffering. And, and also, that gave him this apostolic authority that, that he had. And third, he said, one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So this theme has gone throughout Peter. If you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And then the last chapter in verse 13, he said, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then again right here, of course, he says, I will share in the glory to be revealed. So 
that, that word is, is the word apocalypto, which means a, uh, something that is an unveiling or a revealing of something or an uncovering. So when you think about like the apocalypse, it's really the unveiling of the things that we've said or that the Lord has said is going to happen. But there is something that we're looking forward to, something that is yet to be revealed, and that Peter also will share, just like we do, in the glory of Christ's return. Christ, when he came in the incarnation, was the definition of humility. And while he remains utterly humble, he will return in his glory. And if, when you read the book of Revelation, don't get bogged down in the side note here. Don't get bogged down in all the details. First five uh, words of that book are the revelation of Jesus Christ. That book reveals something to us about Jesus, and it's glorious. You can't read Revelation and come back thinking, Jesus is not glorious. So if you ever wondered about uh, Jesus' glory, just read Revelation and then just be slack-jarred for a while and worship him. So he says, the one who will share in the glory to be revealed. So on these three, uh, in these three ways, he appeals to these elders. What is he appealing to? Or what does he want them to do? And he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. So I don't know if you remember the story back in the end of John, chapter 21. Peter has denied Christ. Christ has risen, from the, risen and, and, and uh, shown himself to them. And Peter and some of the other guys are out fishing. And Jesus comes up on the shore. Peter dives off a boat. Jesus makes them breakfast. And then he takes Peter aside. And there's this wonderful scene of reconciliation that we get in this last chapter of John. And remember, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And, and he says, of course I love you. And then he, he says, uh, tend my sheep. And then he says, you know, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. And there's this whole thing with the, the agape and phileo and all these things. But he tells him in there, feed my sheep. That's his command to Peter. It's the exact same word when it says, be shepherds of God's flock. That's what he's saying. So as, as Jesus told Peter, Peter, shepherd my flock. Peter is telling these elders, elders, shepherd God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseer. So an overseer is someone who, who is a caretaker or who cares for the, uh, someone under, underneath him. It's not an overseer like a, um, in a dominant way, and we'll see that in just a minute here, explained later in the text. But his command to them, or his, excuse me, his, his appeal to them is to do what? To shepherd God's flock, to care for the flock that is under their care. And then he's going to explain how. So this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to do it. And a little bit of Bible study 101 here. You're going to see some things that are contrasted here, right? You're going to see not this, but this, not this, but this, not this, but this, as we go through that. So keep an eye out for it. So, how are you supposed to shepherd those under your care? Not because you must, or not under compulsion. Not this idea that you are uh, forced into it. But, because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Do you see that? God wants them to be willing. And so he says, don't do it just because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. The second says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Well, this, uh, in, the, in the King James, this is not for filthy lucre. So if you've, uh, you've ever um, just been overwhelmed with a desire for filthy lucre, you know what, the, uh, what he's talking about here. But it means greedy for money, right? Have you ever 
don't raise your hand, but have you ever been at a church where all they talk about is money? Um, man, Jesus talks about money a whole lot, but not like some churches talk about money. Um, we get, Trevor and I get made fun of because we, we tell you that we don't want your money, and we do, we want your heart, that's what the Lord wants, but don't be greedy for money as elders. Don't let that be your motivation, but eager to serve. So that word for eager um, really means to serve with, with alacrity. And alacrity is this, is this idea of a, of, of a brisk, cheerful readiness. Think about somebody who is serving with alacrity. Brisk and cheerful readiness. Look at the contrast there. One of them is greedy for money. They want to be over you so that they can take your money away. He says, don't do that. Instead, I want you to serve with brisk and cheerful readiness. What, what a difference that is. The contrast is just wonderful. And then finally, he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Okay, I mean, have you ever been involved in any kind of leadership, not just in the church, where people who were doing it just out of compulsion because someone told them to? It's miserable. It's awful. Just go home. Don't do this. Have you ever been a part of a church or some other organization? Let's just stick with church. That was where people were greedy for money. It's a terrible place to be. Have you ever been part of a place where the church leadership is lording it over the people that are under them? It's an awful, desperate, terrible place to be. And Peter's saying, don't do that. So if you see a church, or you're from a church, or you see our church doing that, you bring in the verses and you say, hey, don't do that. It says it right here, don't do that, but do this. Then he says, but being examples to the flock. Do you remember Jesus in, in, in John 13? They're sitting there and they're at the Last Supper, and, and, and what does he do? Remember, he takes this basin and fills it with water, and he wraps this towel around his waist, and he washes the disciples' feet. And then he says, do you see what I'm doing? You call me Lord and teacher, and I am. But your Lord and teacher has shown you something. I want you to do what I do. I want you to serve. He is our example. Remember what Paul says to Timothy. In Timothy 4.12, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Elders are to be examples to the flock. And then in verse 4, it says, when the chief shepherd appears. So it's the same word as in verse 2 when it says be shepherds, but it's like the ark shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And the reality is that elders in a church are, are, are the under shepherds of the chief shepherd. I mean, we were not, we're not joking or speaking tongue-in-cheek when we said that Jesus is the shepherd of our church. He is who is Lord over our church. It's not one of us. It's Jesus. It says, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Well, what does that mean? It's good, whatever that is. Whatever the crown of glory is, like, I want one. And it's a reward for faithful service. It's a reward for faithfully shepherding the flock. What a good thing. Now, the, the whole idea of reward for the Christian 
It's, it's not new. I mean, just, just in Hebrews 11, he talks about it. Remember what he says in 11.6? He says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus rewards the people that seek him. That does not mean that you get a Ferrari, all right? He's not interested in that. He does not care. Not that Ferraris are bad. Like, if you gave me one, I would drive it, and then I would sell it and pay off my mortgage. But they're not bad. But the reward that God is talking about, these are heavenly rewards that when Jesus returns, he will reward those who serve him. Is that a bad motivation? No. It's not bad to serve looking forward to a reward because it's an encouragement when people are knocking down your door to drag you out of your house and put you in jail because you have a Bible study there which is what was happening to the people that Peter was writing this letter to. So when persecution comes, knowing that Jesus will right every wrong and reward you for your faithfulness is a deep encouragement. The rejection of God's rewarding the faithful is, I don't know, like first world privilege kind of a thing. They weren't taking it that way. They needed that encouragement that Jesus will reward us when we serve him well. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And it says uh, young men, that we're going to be young people, but so it's not just like young ladies. You can't just look at this and be like, doesn't apply. So it does. So young people, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. That word, it could mean that mean elders, like it's talking about the elders of the church, like be submissive to your elders. But it probably also means just younger and older, meaning the church is supposed to be made up of young people and older people and, and kids and people without kids and people that are married and people that aren't and people that are widowed and people that are divorced and just people. And in that, there'll be younger people and older people. Younger people. Older people have lived longer than you and they probably know more. So you should listen to them. Like if you're sitting around someone who's older, listen, you probably have something you need to learn. Now, I may be older to some of you, but many of you in this church call me a young man, which makes you feel great. So it depends on where you're at. But there are people in a church that are older, and many of them have walked with the Lord for longer than you've been alive, sometimes twice as long as you've been alive. So when you're around older people, listen, listen. And older people, listen to the youngers. We need each other. We need the the vibrance and the energy of youth. We need the sage wisdom, the maturity of age because an older person has made a lifetime of dumb mistakes and can say, I did this, it was dumb. Don't do what I did, do this instead. Which is exactly what Peter is telling the elders here. And then at the end it says, all of you, so even if you aren't young or old, this is everybody, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this word for clothe yourselves, Peter uses a lot of words that no one else uses in the New Testament. So this is one of those words. And it means it was, it was connected with this uh, a slave's apron that they would wrap around themselves uh, to do their work. Not only uh, to keep their as an apron to protect or, or keep them from getting dirty, but it was a symbol, it was a cultural symbol that separated slaves from free people. Peter is using that intentionally. He's saying, listen, I want you to take on the slave's apron. 
I want you to wrap it around yourself, and I want you to tie it. If you think about putting on an apron, right, you, you, you tap it and you tie it around your back, does that look, sounds a lot like Jesus wrapping a towel around his waist, doesn't it? He's saying, I want you to put on a servant's apron. Clothe yourselves. It doesn't say clothe the other person with humility. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say look at the other person and say, hey, <clears throat> excuse me. You, you dressed right? Uh-uh. It says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Why? Well, it says, God opposes the proud. So that word for opposes means to range an army for battle. This is not just that God is out there going, oh, you're proud. I don't like that. No. It's a picture of God arranging the angel armies of heaven to war against you. That sounds serious? Because two angels smoked a whole town in Sodom and Gomorrah. Two. They're not to be trifled with. Everybody that sees angels gets scared and dies or feels like they're going to die. This was, imagine the army of God's angels lined up to go to war against your pride. If that doesn't scare you, then you, you need to think more highly of God. It's a terrifying thought that God opposes, that he ranges his armies against the proud. But do you see the contrast? He gives grace to who? To the humble. Is the humble the person that just sits there and says, oh, I'm a worm, I'm slimy, I'm terrible, I beat myself up? I mean, no. That's what Isaiah says, right? He sees, sees God and he's like, I'm a man and not a worm when he sees the throne. But humility is just seeing yourself rightly. It's seeing you and God in right relation to one another. He is God, infinite, majestic, creator, powerful, glorious, perfect, holy. And I'm not. I'm a creature. Whatever the opposite of all those things I just said is, that's me. God is God and I am not. It's seeing ourselves in right perspective. It's also seeing yourself as a, if you're a believer, seeing yourself as a child of God. Seeing yourself as you really are. It's taking your identity. It's not letting the world say who you are. It's that you say, God, I'm going to believe what you say about me. And that is humility. It's viewing yourself rightly. We have uh, elders at our church. You know them? Um, there are five of us. And um, we just drew names out of a hat. And whoever, the last five guys that were in the bottom, they just came up. So what I want to do actually real briefly here is I'm going to actually call the elders just to come up here because I want you to see their faces. I want you to know their names. So, uh, gentlemen, if you would uh, come and stand up here with me real quick. Please. Oh, Carson's got a baby. The baby doesn't count yet, so. So there are, there are five of us. Um, this is Tim Lewis. Many of you know if you're uh, going to get engaged. You probably know Tim. So um, Thanks. you're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A little bit of thing to go, go sell some diamonds. So there's Tim, Tim Lewis and Carson Rock, Austin Fugit, and then Treb and myself. We are the, the elders at the church. We can curtsy or whatever. Um, if you have a, an issue, a problem, come talk to one of us. Like that, we exist for a purpose. So you see the faces. If you're struggling, if you come to church on Sunday, come and talk to one of these five people. We, we love you and we pray for you. You all sit back down. I want you to see their faces. I want you to remember their names. Um, they're, they're the elders that we're just among you. 
They're not high and lifted up over you. They, they, we, our purpose and the heart, this is our heart that we've been reading. It is the heart of every single elder who serves in this church. We joke that we don't know what we're doing. Um, it's because we are desperately clinging to what God is doing. And, and we, we, we pray and we meet and we want to serve and we want to continue to improve and do that better. And, but these are the, those are the elders over this church, the people that we believe that God has appointed as the overseers over the spiritual well-being of this body of believers. It is a weighty, weighty call. And not one of us takes it lightly. So we want you to remember that we're here to serve you. That's what we're here to do. So if you have an issue, come and, come and talk to one of us. We will pray with you. We will pray for you. So what are we going to look at here? Knowing that we have elders in this church, and we can talk about it another time, how it's structured and the process. If you have any questions about that, please ask us. There are elders that are over this church, and we pray for you, and we are trying to walk in obedience to the Lord and to his word. What do we do with these things? One, I want to ask you two questions. <clears throat> First one is, and I want to ask you how you shepherd. So, this is directed to elders, right? But I don't think the application is just to elders. Because the more I thought about it, it was it's this idea of leadership. It's this idea of, yes, elders are, are, are leading a, a local congregation, and, and that's, that's unique. But I want to ask you how... How do you shepherd? If you're a single person, you may be thinking, I don't shepherd anybody. Yeah, you probably do. Do you have people at work? Do you have nieces and nephews? Do you have neighbors? Do you have friends? How do you care for those people? Spouses, um, husbands, how are you shepherding your wives? Are you doing it? Just because you have to? Because she said yes, and now you have to pay all the bills? Or are you doing it because you're willing, as God wants you to be? Are you willing to shepherd your wife like God wants you to? Because how he wants you to is he wants you to love her like Christ loves the church. And if that doesn't make your knees wobbly, you need to understand better how Christ loves the church. Husbands, are you... Do you serve? Do you shepherd your wife? Are you greedy for money? Is that your motivation and everything? Is it balance the checkbook? Blah, 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 blah. Is it about money? Or do you serve her with a brisk, cheerful readiness? When she's hurting, do you have a readiness to serve her? Do you lord it over her? Is that how you husband your wife? Or are you an example to her? The kind of example that Jesus is who washes our feet. Do you serve your wife like Christ serves the church? Wives, <laughs> how do you submit to your husband? Do you do it just because you have to? Or do you do it because you are willing as God wants you to be? Do you align your will with God's will for you as a wife? Is it all about money for you? Are you greedy for money? Are you content with what you have? Are you eager to serve? Do you have a brisk, cheerful readiness to submit to your husband? <laughs> Are you an example to your husband of, of Christ's love to him? 
Parents, how do you shepherd your children? Ooh, I don't do it real well. Just be honest, we have four. Um, I, uh, you know, you people have uh, videotapes or whatever that, that you have like rings inside the house that video. I, I don't ever want one of those. It's like putting a fish on the back of my car. Like I'll never do that because I would have to drive. I wouldn't want to besmirch the name of Jesus because I'm a jerk on the road. Um, how do you parent? This so clearly applies to parenting. Are you a parent just because you have to, because some kids popped out and now they're yours? <laughs> you know that God wants you to parent your children? And parenting is a verb. Don't get me wrong. It is work. And there is, there is zero breaks because when they're sleeping, we're praying for them or planning on what we're going to do. It's like there, there ain't no breaks from parenting. And I've been told that as they get older, it's just you just keep praying more. And so, are you doing it willingly? Are you greedy for money? Is that the motivation? And you're like, I don't know, whatever, kids, it costs too much. Um, and they do. But are you eager to serve them? Do you have a, a brisk readiness to serve your children? Do you lord your authority over your children? Or are you an example to them of Christ's sacrificial love? What about in your workplace? Are any of you a boss over anybody? How do you shepherd those people? What about your, your neighbors? How do you shepherd them? What about the people in our church? How do you shepherd them? So how do you shepherd the people? Because there is, there's no way to overvalue the, the power of genuinely caring for people. That's what a shepherd does. When he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, that is serving as someone who cares for and tends to the flock. How are you caring for the people that are around you? Because if you know a person's name, you need to be shepherding them well. The second question is this. How are you dressed. How do you shepherd and how are you dressed? You remember the story in Matthew 22 of the wedding feast and the people get rejected and they, they don't come and so there's like bringing all these people and there's this one guy who's there and, and the, the, the chief of the wedding feast goes in and he says, who is this guy? He's not dressed in wedding clothes. Get out. Throw him out in the place with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. You read that parable and you're like, man, this is like mean, Jesus. He's just there. Somebody invited him. He doesn't have clothes. I think the idea of that is not that what we wear matters, but right, this, this concept of that we are supposed to be clothed in something and that there is an appropriateness to what we are supposed to be wearing. If you think back to what the, the priests had to do in the, under the Old Covenant, they had to be wearing the right things, not because God was, uh, cared about fashion, it was because God wanted them to remember, you cannot just come and just do whatever you want, however you want to do it. You have to do it my way. I say wear this ephod and this funny hat. You wear the ephod and the funny hat. Would you go to a wedding in a swimsuit? No, that would not be appropriate. Would you go to the water park in a tux? No, I guess. I don't know. There's weird people, but Maybe. You wear the thing, you don't wear your work clothes, like you don't wear your, your suit and tie to go to dig a trench in the yard. 
You don't wear the clothes that you dug a trunch in the yard to go to a board meeting. We, we do this. There's appropriate clothes for appropriate circumstances, right? What is the appropriate clothing in all of our relationships with one another? It's humility. And that's it. Clothe yourselves with humility. The appropriate clothing for all of our relationships with one another is a slave's apron that I'm identifying as a slave of Jesus. Okay? Someone who says, I will willfully submit all of my freedom to him and I will serve like he serves. I will lay down what I want and take on what he wants. And I will show people by what I am wearing that I am Christ's servant. All these letters come up in the, in the New Testament. I am Paul, a bondservant. Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That is our appropriate clothing. It is humility. I was trying to think about what is it that makes us forget to be humble. And part of it is I think that we, we've lost our sense of wonder at who God is. Have you ever been to a large, like a mountain or a cliff or a waterfall or a giant river or the ocean that's way bigger than you and if you step wrong, you're going to die? It's a humbling experience. Like in Ireland, there are these cliffs and the Cliffs of Moher, and they're like 700 feet down. And you could walk up, you just be able to walk up to the edge. I'm sure they've got a fence there now because people are dumb. But you can walk up and look over the edge. Man, nobody does that and steps back and is like, I am awesome. No, it's like, I am small and I'm scared, and if I fall, I'm going to die. If you go to the Grand Canyon, they have that thing that goes out. I've never done this, I can't wait to, but... It's like this thing that goes out as a glass walkway, and you walk out and you stand over the Grand Canyon. Whoa, if you're afraid of heights, this is not fun. It's humbling. Is there an arrogant man in a tornado shelter? No. Is there an arrogant person during a hurricane? Well, they're probably not going to make it. If you're arrogant during a tornado, like go out and say what you want. The humble man gets in the ground and prays. A.W. Tozer talks about in a chapter in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, about the Trinity. And the second half of the chapter doesn't, <laughs> doesn't explain anything. That, I mean, it just talks about the Trinity. But in the first half, he goes about explaining why it is important that we think about things that we can't comprehend. And he says that we have... In our day, this is written in the, like the early 60s, but even more so today, that we have what he called the satiety of wonder. We're like full of wonder now. We think, oh, I got it. I get it all. I get it. I don't, I don't need more wonder. I'm, I'm, I have a satiety of it. I'm, I'm kind of full. don't need any more wonder. Who do we think we are? We don't even understand how things really work. The leaves that fall off the trees every year are so infinitely complex. It's amazing. The cells of a human body are a miraculous machine. None of us could design something so beautiful. 
The human eye is so complicated, it's almost unfathomable. The stars in the sky, we don't even know where they all go or how many they are. And we think that we can claim that there is no God? We don't even know how many fish are in the sea. We discover new species. And yet we think that we can look up and say there is no God. The Bible calls that man a fool. And I'm not knocking people that don't believe. They don't believe because they're lost. But I'm telling us that we need to recapture the wonder of who God is. Open your eyes. Look at a baby. Look at a miracle that that baby is. Think about how the rain falls and it feeds things. Just look. Turn off Netflix and go outside and look at nature. Stuff grows. It just works. Birds make other birds and they build little nests. Ants build little hills. Look at it. Marvel at it. Be enraptured by the wonder of God's creation. Because when we do that, we remember who he is and who we are. And it's humbling for us. You're not going to go stand over a 700-foot cliff next to somebody you're fighting with and then step off the cliff and start fighting with them again. Because you're both going to be leveled. You're going to be like, hey, let's step back and not die. I'm sorry I was rude to you. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. In everyday life, husbands, spouses, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, just put your label on whoever you are, Grammy, Grandpa, I don't, co-worker, colleague, uh, Democrat, Republican, Oklahoma, and Texan, I don't, whatever you are, in all of your relationships with every single human, before you talk to them, put on your apron. Get dressed. Put it on. Pray in the morning and read the Bible. It helps a lot. But remember to dress appropriately for all human relationships. And that is only dressed in humility. So how do you shepherd and how are you dressed? I want you to be encouraged that the Lord is not surprised at your failure to do these things well. Nor am I. If we lined up our failures, I'm pretty sure mine would actually outstack out yours. But guess what? That isn't the point. That's not the point. Why can I wrap myself in an apron? Why can I shepherd well? Because of Jesus. It's all about him. Jenny uses this phrase this week. We were talking to somebody. And she said, I want you to sit down into your inadequacies like it's a comfy chair. Just like, ah, I am utterly inadequate, Lord, to do what you want me to do. And then you're ready to be used by him. So as we pray, I want you to remember that the song that we sing at the end of here, that's actually called a song of response. And it's there so that you can take whatever God has taught you in the sermon and then respond to him somehow. If that means you... You can come up here and pray. You're welcome. Come up here and get on the ground. If you want to find someone to go pray with them, go find someone to pray with them. If you want to kneel on the floor, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to talk to the Lord quietly in your own heart, but respond to whatever he is teaching you now. Respond to him. If he is calling you to shepherd your family differently, if he is calling you to shepherd your spouse or your coworker or your children differently, if he is calling you out of your arrogance and into the freedom of humility, respond to him.
Ask him to help you, and he will help you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you love us so very, 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 very much. I'm so glad that you are beyond definition, that the very essence of your being is three in one, and I can't even comprehend the bare essence of who you are. I ask for us, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be hungry for wonder at your creation, at your glory, at your majesty, at our own salvation. Fill us with the wonder of who you are. Encourage us to shepherd as you shepherd, Lord Jesus. Help us shepherd people well. Help the elders of this church in humility shepherd and serve and love as you do, Lord Jesus. Guide us in your way that we would follow you and you alone. Help us to respond to you, Lord Jesus, now and to leave here full of wonder. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.